What's up, folks? Welcome to another edition of Matt's Sporthouse. I am your host, Matthew Anderson. It was a huge weekend in college football, so we're going to go ahead and jump right into it. But we're going to go ahead and start with the local team. The University of South Carolina lost to the Appalachian State Mountaineers with a final score of 20-15 to at home on senior night. Appalachian State defense came in super confident. Their offense played very conservative and relied on their defense, as a matter of fact. The Appalachian State quarterback, Zach Thomas, threw 15 passes and completed nine of them for 105 yards. That generally doesn't even beat a Sunbelt team, nevertheless, an SEC program, but in this case, it did. Their running back, Evans, denied he didn't even rush for 100 yards. Their leading receiver, Corey Sutton, had three catches for 38 yards, and so that tells you everything you need to know. They didn't have a 100-yard receiver. The quarterback barely threw 100 yards, and the running back didn't. So that was a conservative offense. Meanwhile, for the South Carolina run game, it was it was bad for, as an understatement. The leading rusher was the backup quarterback, DeKarion Joyner, who had three carries for 14 yards. Rico Dattle, who was the starter running back, had 14 carries for nine yards. And Fenwick, the guy who had 100 yards last week, had four carries for nine yards. It seemed as if every it seems as if with every run, the linebackers for App State met the Carolina running back in the hole or behind the line of scrimmage. It's kind of embarrassing for an SEC offensive line not to be able to knock back a Sunbelt defensive line, no matter how athletic they are. It's like you should just kind of be able to overpower them. Most O-linemen, like units, take pride to be able to open the holes for their running back, especially when the guys on the defensive line could get an offer probably from USC. But that is clearly what – that clearly did not happen this week, and I, I don't know what's going on. I'm sure that offensive line coach is probably like – forget the schemes and stuff. Let's get back to the basics of what it means to be an offensive lineman because, like, some things have to change. One thing Muschamp mentioned in his press conference early this week was – and I kind of took it as an understatement – was how the App, State, the App State team, and I think specifically defense, is full of a lot of upperclassmen. just had a lot of experience in total, and it kind of showed throughout this game – when they ran through that tunnel pregame, you could tell they expected to win. And they were celebrating, I think, early in the fourth quarter, definitely towards like six minutes left in the fourth quarter, even when USC still had a chance. And that almost cost them the game. That didn't almost cost them the game. But with them celebrating, I think they really took the foot off the gas and they almost lost this game. Now for the USC passing game, Halinski went 32 for 57 for 325 yards, one touchdown and one interception. And being that the interception wasn't his fault because Leggett dropped the pass and that state guy took it to the house for a pick six, he actually didn't, if you look at it from a statistical standpoint, he didn't have that bad of a game throwing for over 300 yards. It just, it didn't seem like that watching. Like sometimes when you look at the stats for these games and you watch the actual game, they look completely different. And that was the case. The USC receivers had seven drops. Muschamp talked about it in his teleconference last night. Edwards seemed to be the only guys really making – Edwards, Brian Edwards seemed to be the only guy really making plays on offense. He had nine catches for 90 yards and a touchdown. South Carolina had three other receivers with five catches, including Rico Dattle, who went for 67 yards. The tight end, Mark Way, had 43 yards catching, and Leggett, who had 42 yards. So it didn't seem like it, but the other guys were getting involved. Trey Atkins got a little, got in the game a little bit as a, the walk-on receiver. He had two catches for 33 yards. Because, as I said before, because the App State offense was so conservative, they left South Carolina with the chance to win at the end. Halinski drove them down the field. 
and Appalachian State had some pass interference calls. Somehow, and somehow on that last play, even though Brian Edwards seemed to be the only guy making big plays throughout the game, and he was hurt. And much to after the game, he'll be fine. But uh, I think like I think that Brian Edwards might seriously have to consider his NFL career here and making a business decision versus just continuing to play for USC. Because at this point, they're not even going. He's not even playing to. They're playing to make a bowl game, but USC probably won't because they'll have to beat Clemson and A&M. But somehow Appalachian State let him get wide open. I really wish they would have showed the replay at the end of the game. And so we could see maybe some guy fell down, but Halinski overthrew the ball. That's generally one of those plays that they say, just don't, just get the ball to him. Don't worry about it being perfect. I don't even care. It's like a duck. Just make sure it gets to him. He overthrew it. But I think that was probably for the best when you look at it now, because there was a holding penalty. And if the South Carolina fan, if he would have caught, if, Brian Edwards would have caught that pass. Everybody's excited because that means USC wins. And then they figure out there's a holding. I think their stadium would have went up with uproar and they would have started throwing bottles on the field again. So maybe that was for the best. Gamecocks, the Gamecocks are now 4-6. and six, And as I said before, they have to beat Clemson and a and to be bowl eligible. Anum hasn't played very well this season, but I still don't think USC goes to the college station and gets that win. I get the feel that South Carolina's fans feel kind of like the Tennessee fans did after losing to Georgia State, and I think that was BYU early in the season. Also, from a financial aspect, the University of South Carolina basically paid Appalachian State $900,000 to come and win the game because, you know, you pay the smaller schools to come play against you. So that is super unfortunate. I'm sure Ray Tanner's not excited to write that check. South Carolina players seemed very uninspired, especially like towards the beginning of the game. It seemed like the fans were kind of more into it than the players. But we'll see what happens with that one. And there there has to be some change. We'll just see who gets fired, who gets hired, et cetera, et cetera. We'll move on to the upstate where Clemson defeated the NC State Wolfpack with the final score of 55-10. to Clemson was up 42-0 before NC State even scored. They have officially clinched the ACC Atlantic and will be in Charlotte for the ACC Championship game. This will be their fifth ACC Championship game in a row. I think, yeah, I think they've they've definitely won four in a row. I don't know how many they've, I think it's, yeah, yeah, pretty sure that's it. Uh, Clemson fans that have been around since Taj Boyd have, I think they have a, Clemson fans that have been around since Taj Boyd have a true appreciation for this. It's just like Clemson wasn't always this team that goes to ACC Championship every, that goes to ACC Championship game every year and wins. It used to be like a Florida State here and there, but now it's just like, Dabble said this a long time ago. The ACC stands for another Clemson championship, and he's officially kind of brought that back. Because they went through a spill back in the, pretty sure it was the 80s, either the 80s or 90s, and where they won like four and five back-to-back. So that Clemson dominance is definitely back, and I don't see anytime soon another school, because Wake Forest thinks the second-best team in the ACC right now, and they're in the Atlantic with Clemson. I don't see another school taking over the reins anytime soon. Now, for other really good college football, you had the LSU-Alabama game that was truly a ball game. If you watch pregame, this is before the team got to the stadium, Coach O was walking in. I think they call it Tiger Walk LSU, I'm pretty sure, because their mascot are the Tigers. And he was fired up. He was shaking hands with the fans. He was just kind of like, he was just pumped. You could tell some guy ended up like hitting him in the hand and there. He's hugging guys, and he, he's just ready to go. I think if he could, he would have went out and played. Then their team came out hot. LSU came out really hot. They were up 33-13 at the end of the first half, and I kind of thought they were going to run away with it. But Alabama stormed back, 
after the half, closing the gap. And for a while there, they were going score for score with Alabama, but Alabama just couldn't get a stop when necessary. And so LSU ended up winning with the final score, 46 to 41. And so as long as everything works out, Ole Miss beats Ole Miss in Arkansas, who fired Chad Morris and AM, they will go to Atlanta to play Georgia in the SEC championship game. Now, when I looked at that, and I think most people think, oh, yeah, LSU wins those games. They probably do, but those still are SEC games with SEC with SEC talent. So those aren't just – they're easier than what they've played thus far, but they still have to come to play in these games. But they've showed me no signs that they would – that they won't because every game this year they've come out and played the best football. After the game, I thought that the LSU football team did something that was kind of a savage move. They go to the Alabama recruits, and because if you're an Alabama recruit, more than likely you've had a visit to LSU. That's just how it works. You're just kind of deciding which team you go to because a lot of times these coaches end up going after the same players. But anyway, they went over to the Alabama recruit section and just kind of gave them a recruiting pitch for those guys to come to LSU. And I thought that was a, that was a savage move. You don't see that too often. But the LSU team, they play. They just There's a different swagger about them. Even the social media staff got the swagger. It, it just is what it is. Joe Burrow, their quarterback, just about wrapped up the Heisman, going 31 for 39 for 393 yards and three touchdowns. He plays bets when the bright lights are on. And yet again, Bright lights were on. He was on. Uh, they went to Brian Denny and they got the win. Two, on the other hand, did not have a bad game, especially after just having surgery two or three weeks ago. He went 21 for 40 for 418 yards and four touchdowns. So not a bad day at all. He just didn't get the win. I'm pretty sure that part of LSU's game plan was to flush him out the pocket and therefore making him uncomfortable. They, they did a really good job. Now, obviously, they scored a lot of points. So defense didn't play excellent, but if their goal was to get him out of the pocket, they definitely were able to do that. And all that matters at the end of the day is getting the win anyway. Now we're going to move to the Big Ten, where Ohio State was missing their dominant defense end, Chase Young, who has been suspended by the NCAA for four games for taking money to get his family to the Rose Bowl last season. It's kind of crazy because it's like you're taking money to get your family to the game, yet millions of dollars are being made. You think they would look out for him? I thought they did that. But that might just be for college football playoffs. But I thought they gave players money for their parents. But, like, their parents, like, some sort of stipend to get the games. But luckily, he paid back the money nonetheless. And so most think that that will be reduced. His suspension will be reduced by the NCAA to two to three games. They're going to wait for a ruling later on this week. And they need him anyway. They won the final score of 73-13. Staying in the Big Ten where there were two undefeated teams playing. You had Minnesota playing Penn State. It's kind of weird to say Minnesota undefeated. That just doesn't sound right. But anyway, Minnesota beat Penn State with the final score of 31-26. to Now the polls have to put some respect on Minnesota golfers' names. They came out firing and definitely, and definitely showed why they're undefeated thus far. Their quarterback, Tanner Morgan, went 18 for 20 for 229 yards and three touchdowns. That's an almost perfect day for him. That's, he's completed 90% of his passes. The toughest game now is on the 30th, uh, where they will face 15th-ranked Wisconsin. If they can get the win, they'll play Ohio State in the Big Ten Championship for a chance to go to a college football playoff. The Big Ten Championship, I'm pretty sure, is in Indianapolis. This will be huge for their program. Their head coach, P.J. Fleck, wears a shirt and tie on the sideline, which is something you see generally in basketball, not as much in football, especially in the Big Ten because it's so cold outside. But he does it. You have to love it. He's really got that program moving, and it brought that program a long way. We're going to move to the Big 12, where Baylor barely 
uh, remain undefeated, beating Tennessee. I mean, not Tennessee, beating TCU with the final score of 29 to 23 in overtime. They have a showdown against Oklahoma this week, and then at and then at home, and then next week they play Texas at home. So good luck to the Bears. I don't think they come out of both of those games with a win. I think they come out of that one and one. So they beat Oklahoma, they lose to Texas, or vice versa. Regardless, it's been nice to see that Baylor team after going through so much problems with their sexual assault cases and all that, all that stuff that went down. Now they're coming back to the top. I don't think that coach stays there for too long, maybe one or two more years. But I think he goes to a different uh, conference. Like, I'm sure SEC job or something will open up. So I think he'll go there. But this has been – he's been playing it really well, and it goes to show that he can rebuild a program, which is major in college football, because you have a lot of the blue blood programs that need rebuilding. And uh, the fan bases and the alumni have to pay for it, so they just need – and boosters to pay for it. So they just need a coach to do it, to do the job. In other college football, though, Florida State beat Boston College under their new interim coach after firing Willie Taggart. Dion has made it clear that he hasn't heard anything from Florida State, but he is interested in coaching major college, major college football. And just in case for you all that don't know, Dion has been coaching his son's high school football team, so it's not like he's just been chilling on TV. Now he wants to go into coaching. Like he's been progress, and he's the offensive coordinator. Think about it; he's a defensive, he's a an excellent cornerback, a Hall of Fame DB. So for him to be the offensive coordinator, he really knows football in all different shapes or forms. So no slight, Dion. Also, Arkansas has fired Chad Morris after going 4-18 in his career there and winless in 14 SEC games. I would fire my head coach, too, if we can't beat Western. If an SEC program gets blown out by Western Kentucky, like it's one thing to lose a close game, an upset, but to get blown out, that just shows that Western Kentucky was the better team and they had to let the Chad go. But I'm sure Chad Morris would probably go get an offensive coordinator job. He did a really good job at SMU. So he'll probably go get an offensive coordinator job. Uh, he's an offensive savant. He's a, he runs that Gus Miles own type of scheme. Actually, it wouldn't be a bad idea to see if Auburn fires their offensive coordinator for him to go out there. But we'll see what happens with that. And he'll land another head coaching job probably in the next five to six years. Now we're going to move to the National Football League, where the Ravens beat the Bengals with the final score of 49-13. Lamar has his team sitting 7-2. It should be 8-1, but I don't know how they didn't beat the Browns. Because it's like you win all these other games. You beat the Patriots, and you beat the Bengals. You beat everybody else, but you can't beat the Browns. But anyway, they're super creative out there in Baltimore. They had him running the option with RG3, a running back. And I think people forget quite just how fast RG3 is. So you put those two in the backfield, and that's a lethal combination when it comes to speed. Also, Lamar took the ball on another play. On another play, he took the ball, put a juke on one defender, spinned off another, like one, but he really kind of spinned off three and took it to the house. I keep saying this, but his instincts are simply on another level and are better than most running backs and wide receivers in the NFL. You can quote me on that one. I've seen him in person. Uh, play against Clemson back, I think that was in 2016. Passing, Lamar went 15 for 17 for 223 yards, three touchdowns, and no interceptions. So a great day for the Ravens. The Ravens are really starting to catch a lot of steam. I think a lot of fans are kind of jumping on the bandwagon. Standing at divisions, the Browns got a much-needed win, winning with the final score of 19-16. to Nick Chubb had 20 carries for 116 yards, while Kareem Hunt made his return to the playing field, having four carries for 30 yards. Also, you had Jarvis Landry, who had nine catches for 97 yards, and they got this win over the Bills. Last year's MVP, Patrick Mahomes, made his return to Kansas City, but they still lost. 
Losing the final score of 45 to 32. Tannehill was great in this ball game, especially late down. Like Tannehill was in with Miami for a long time, so I think a lot of people kind of forgot about him. But he really had a great game in this one, especially towards the end of it. Um, Patrick and they had, he had to get the go ahead and score, driving the team down the field to go ahead and score, and they got the two point conversion. And like, let me correct that that final score was 35 32. I knew that didn't sound right. And Patrick McCombs, although he didn't get the win, they he went 36 for 50. So that's approximately what 18 times two, that's approximately 72 percent of the time he threw the ball. It was completion for 446 yards and three, and three touchdowns. So even though they didn't get the win, this would boost his stats. He also had this little jump pass that went to the Hardman. Hardman reminds me a lot of Tyreek Hill. I feel like Hardman, like I said, he fits his offense. But if he ever goes to a different place, he will be seen as a Tyreek Hill, especially when he gets more experience in the NFL. The Falcons absolutely shocked the NFL world, winning with the final score of 26-9 over the Saints. I think they had a a few sacks in this game, too. I think they had five or six sacks. The Cowboys lost to the Vikings with the final score of 28-24 last night on Sunday Night Football, the only game on, and they lose. And they lose. This is the, this is how the Cowboys do things. They're now 5-4. and four. People are back to calling for Jason Garrett job, and Zeke had 20 carries for 47 yards, which is a little bit over two yards of carry on the ground. So a lot of people are a little upset about that. You know, the Cowboys faithful hate to see the Cowboys lose the game, especially when they are the only game on TV at night. And tonight, Monday Night Football, we have the undefeated 49ers playing the Seahawks at Levi's Stadium. That is San Francisco 49ers home stadium. This will be a great one as we get to watch the dominant 49ers defense go against Russell Wilson, right? who right now I'm pretty sure is leading the MVP race and is a sure Hall of Famer in the future. So this is going to be a great one. This will probably be one of the more anticipated Monday Night Football games, and I'll make sure I'm watching the whole entire thing. Usually I kind of catch up to it, or I'll just watch the instant, not the instant replay, but the highlights. But this one, you got to watch. Just check this one out. And also, former USC guy, uh, Debo Samuel, will be playing tonight. So something to watch for there. But thanks for listening. It's been another episode of Matt Sporthouse. Uh, Matt Sporthouse, excuse me. Uh, any questions, comments, concerns, hit me on the Twitter account at Matt's Support House. Uh, tell your friends to follow, friends, family, all that. Uh, and also subscribe to the podcast. All right, thanks for listening.